This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 215, comic reviews for the week of Wednesday, October the 29th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is Adam Chapman, and I'm your host. This is uh, episode, what, 215? It's our Comic Reviews episode for Wednesday, October the 29th. Uh, Thank you for joining us today as we're going to look at uh, some of the releases that came out this past week. Um, It was kind of a a smaller week. Um, Both Marvel and DC had minimal um, kind of output. For DC, they kind of relegated this week for a bunch of their annuals. We had, uh, what, a Justice League Dark annual... um, um, feel like there was more annuals maybe not maybe i'm totally wrong i just felt like there was annuals i think there's a swamp thing annual um and just a bunch of kind of fifth week kind of stuff uh nothing kind of major from dc obviously they had all their weekly series so that's guaranteed for three issues um but not much else although we did get an issue of sinestro so it was kind of weird because it was a five week um a five week month um in terms of the wednesdays um and then marvel had a, actually a bunch of bigger releases but again nothing it really stands out for the for this for this particular week. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, first up, we have All New X Men thirty three, uh, continuing Bendis's take on the All New X Men, um, which I'm just kind of over. I think in general, um, like I still like the idea of the team. It just it, it felt very pressing when they first came to the future, and now it just feels like it's going to keep going forever. And I don't know if there's really an end game here, and. Um, I don't know, and, and, and this whole kind of crossover with the Ultimate Universe, again, it feels like it's years too late. Um, it's long since past the moment when it was would have been exciting. Uh, the artwork's by Mahmoud Azrar. As I said, it's written by Bendis. Um, it just feels like it's very slow happening, too. Like, you have Iceman, you know, finding out that he's in the Ultimate Universe, going up against kind of uh, Mole Man and his people. You have X-23 and Angel. Uh, trying to go back to their base and instead being confronted by, I guess, Wolverine's son. Uh, you have Beast um, dealing with um, Doctor Doom. And then you have Jean Grey and uh, Miles Morales meeting up with, Gun- I guess, Gunky to uh, go back to uh, where uh, the expansion was and then kind of coming up against the current version of, the, I guess, the X characters. I just feel like, in a lot of ways, the bloom is off the rose for the Ultimate Universe and kind of has been for years. I mean, Ultimatum kind of took what was familiar about it for most people and took it all away. And then they've kept the universe going, but I don't know if a lot of people have necessarily been following it. Um, Brian Michael Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man is probably the biggest release from that universe. But everything else, I don't... I feel like there's not a lot of buzz around the Ultimate Universe or even what the status quo is for most of these characters. So you take a a big book, a big selling book, and throw it into this universe without really explaining who these characters are. I feel like maybe if this this type of story had existed back when editorial boxes were necessary and they would actually explain who people are. Instead, we're just getting an overly long, overwrought storyline that doesn't make any sense. They're in the Ultimate Universe, but taking forever to get to the point, which is unfortunately just kind of a, a staple of Brian Michael Bendis' writing these days. I feel like just he's trying to do this character work, but it's at, at some point plot has to be a little bit of a concern. Maybe there should be some, first of all. It just feels like it's so slow, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm getting bored. I don't want to be bored. I want to be excited. I want this book to thrill me. And I feel like originally this book kind of felt thrilling and interesting and exciting and then that kind of has gone away so i'm going to give this about a uh, a six i mean it looks nice and it's not actually poorly written it's just not what i'm looking for because it's so slow slowly paced um the writing's not bad it's just just there 
Uh, next up is Axis Carnage number one. Not really sure how I feel about this, actually. Um, in theory, I mean, it's kind of a weird book. It's a, a new take on Carnage, but which is, it's by Rick Spears, artwork by Herman Peralta. Um, I mean, now we have Carnage is Carnage again, but he's dealing with the effects of the inversion and trying to be a hero, but he's not going straight hero. He's still messed up. He's still Carnage. It's it's being a hero through a villain's eyes, which is actually working out well here, uh, that he's not actually that good at it. Um, Sin Eater is some sort of weird demon thing as well. I really liked how Sin Eater was written. I think he's exciting. The, the Carnage stuff, I, I was kind of like, yes, and I was sometimes I was into it, sometimes I just wasn't. Uh, on the whole, it, it was kind of scattershot. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm not a huge fan of the art, and uh, I'm going to give it a six and a half. I, as I said, I think there's some great potential here. I just don't necessarily think it was fully realized here in this first issue, but I'm interested to see where the rest of the miniseries goes. Uh, we've got Axis Revolutions number one, uh, which is the new... It's What was it in the last one? Original Sins, and now it's Axis Revolutions. Uh, the first storyline is written by Dennis Hopeless, artwork by Ken Lashley, and then the second one is written by Simon Spurrier and Tanang Watt doing the pencils. So the first story is what Spider-Man's doing while World War Hate is kind of running rampant, trying to protect people, stop people from fighting each other, and it just felt like it went on way too long, but not nearly as long as the second story, which I have to be honest, I barely read because I just, I didn't like the way it was written, I thought the art was poor. This is yet another attempt to cash in an event putting out this kind of anthology style series alongside it and you know what you can totally avoid this you do not need to read this it wasn't worth picking up wasn't worth reading uh the second story is terrible the first story just it it drums the same beats over and over again it could have been kind of quick and succinct and and interesting but instead it just belabored the point and i'm gonna give the whole thing maybe a four out of ten uh it's just I, i could not wait for it to be over i just i did not like it at all uh, then we have Batman Eternal 30, which finally we see what happens to Arkham Asylum. Uh, it's uh, Scott Snyder and James Tinney the fourth on story. Ray Fox on script. Artwork by uh, Fernando Pissarin, which is one of the reasons why I think this is a better, much better looking book. Unfortunately, I don't care about Spectre and old and like Joker's daughter and what's going on with Arkham. Like I just I could care much much less. Uh, what's going on with Batwing was kind of interesting. What might happen with Joker going forward? Uh, sorry, Joker's daughter and Batman going forward is interesting too. Um, again, there are some ideas here that I like, and the artwork's good. But again, the Arkham storyline has been my least favorite part of Batman Eternal. The super supernatural stuff I feel just doesn't have a, a big place in in Gotham, and I, it makes me uninterested. Uh, I like the gang war. I like that kind of stuff. It, at times, this book is so solid, and then other times it has a really kind of weird issue that doesn't really have a lot of direction to it and just it throws things together. I'm going to give this a 5. The artwork's great. It's just the story that's a mess. Uh, next we have is Death of Wolverine Logan Legacy, number 3. I still don't understand why we had the first issue which I guess takes place after the rest of the series, which is kind of stupid. This one's featuring Sabretooth. Uh, it's written by Kyle Higgins. I work by Jonathan Marks. Um... I wasn't a huge fan of the art at first, but the more I read it, the more I kind of liked the weird kind of looseness to it and the, the color palette, I think, really succeeded as well as for telling the story of this man who's lost this monster, this 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 animal that is lost without a purpose for existing. The script is actually fairly strong. The way that Logan went out was bad, but this is much better. Uh, I think Higgins really nailed the mark on the head that 
Sabretooth would have a very difficult time with Logan actually being dead. Because That being said, I think this would have worked better years ago before their relationship became, felt lessened, like it mattered less. Like back in the day, Sabretooth was like the villain. Him and, and their knockdown dragout fights, him and Wolverine were just fantastic. And you look forward to them because it was exciting, it was big. And then somewhere along the way, Sabretooth just lost it. Um, part of it's because they kept making him like kind of an anti-hero, kind of like Wolverine. Uh, and I, I feel like it lost the um, single-mindedness and the the uh, danger of the character was kind of somewhat muted as well. But this issue felt very true to that who the character was and, and is. Uh, next up is Deathlock number one, written by Nathan Edmondson, artwork by um, was it Perkins. Uh, I really dug this. It was kind of slow in some ways because. The central conceit of the story, if you've read the, the uh, I don't even know where that was. It was in like a point one or something. If you read the point one story, you kind of already understand the, the general conceit of the story. Um, that being said, it was a very interesting issue to see how this guy is dealing with, like he doesn't even realize what's happening to him. He thinks he's doing the kind of good work, but he's really being utilized as this killing machine. Seeing how he operates, how S.H.I.E.L.D. is operating, trying to find out what's going on with Deathlock and who's really in control. I'm a little disappointed what happens to Black Tarantula here, though it looks like I guess he might still be alive. He's yeah, Black Tarantula's not actually dead, thankfully. I'd like to see more of Black Tarantula. Uh, and this felt like more like the Black Tarantula of old, not the one that Brubaker was writing, which wasn't bad. It was just very different from the original version of the character. Um, I dug this. It was interesting to see where they go with it. Um, it's time is right for a new Deathlock book, so let's see if if it can last longer than six issues. I'm gonna give it an eight. I thought it was a strong debut. Uh, issue 7 of Electra. Ugh. Um, Alex Sanchez is not a great artist for this book, although Blackman is still writing a good script. I just found the art did not really match it at all. Um, it, it just it felt cheesy, and it just was sloppy artwork. The script, not as strong as it has been uh, in terms of... I just felt like maybe maybe it's just the art, but like the first few issues were so strong because there was such an artistic expression. The, sto- the story was, it was there, but... There's more about the art. Here, you have not very good artwork, and now suddenly the script feels weaker for it. Um, so I'm going to give this a, a 5 out of 10. It's just you know more of Electra fighting people, but it felt more mindless than it has recently. Uh, next up is Guardians of the Galaxy number 20, uh, which... Ugh, uh, no thanks. It just felt like Bendis, and I've, I've talked about this off-podcast with the A.J. Reese, a fan of the show... And I think he was right. It was the idea that this very much felt like Bendis had to get this monkey off his back. This monkey on his back is that how did Thanos come back from being stuck in the cancer first? How did uh, Star-Lord come back? How is he a completely different person now? And now why is he blonde instead of dark hair? And why isn't he a cyborg anymore? And why isn't he, as, why is he this funny kind of loserish character like he is in the movies now uh, instead of being the badass he was before? Uh, who is much more put together. Why isn't Richard Ryder alive? That's the big one, though, the last one. What happened to Richard Ryder? So this is supposed to kind of solve that question. Uh, the artwork here is by Ed McGinnis and Valerio Shiti. Um I just... The McGinnis stuff, it looks nice. The whole, you know, what's going on in the cancerverse, but I felt like we got a bunch of issues of the same thing happening over and over again, and eventually Nova decides, you know what, I'm going to use the Cosmic Cube, I'm going to send everyone home... And I guess he can't go anywhere, and he's stuck, and he says that he loves Gamora, and then he's gone. But presumably, he's... First of all, if he is the gateway to get out of the Cancerverse, 
Isn't that gate kind of still open? Can't it still be open? And is he still alive then? Just standing in the Cancerverse, fighting everyone and unable to die? Like, I just... This just was a headache. And what goes on with Gamora, like, again, I like their bond, but no, first of all, no one cries like this. It's the weirdest, creepiest cry I've ever seen. Second of all, it just doesn't feel that authentic to Gamora as a character. They would, This would bother her, but not, like, she wouldn't be, oh, my one eye crying, and the other one's closed because it's dramatic. Fuck, really? Who winks when they cry? Anyway, I'll try to settle down. But I just found this. The artwork was great. It looks fantastic. If only the script cared nearly as much as the art. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. I'm giving it basically like, well, maybe a 5. I'll give it a 5. I'm giving it a 1 for story and a 4 for artwork. The artwork's great. It just The story just fails to, to catch up to it. Um... Then we have, and I guess the Nova Force is also always going to be in the Cancerverse, which, again, it's kind of selfish. I'm going to take the entire Nova Force, go do this insane battle. Now there can't be any Novas in the universe, unless they have black helmets. We're not going to explain that. Um, yeah, it just seems very selfish in some ways. Um, it almost would have been better if Nova had left the, the Nova Force behind so that there could still be a Nova Force. Instead of robbing the world of that. What is the Nova Mind thinking, by the way? Because the Nova Mind was always a kind of a character in the Nova book. So, theoretically, the world mind is inside his brain saying, You fucking loser. <laughs> Get me out of here. Get me back to the regular universe. You have destroyed Xanadarian culture. Thanks a lot, you prick. Or thanks a lot, Brian Michael Bendis. Anyway, let's move on to Nova number 22, which I won't be nearly as upset about because I liked it. Uh, it's by Jerry Dugan, who continues to really nail this book he feels like a a modern spider-man this young hero dealing with the issues of being a, a youngster in school and also trying to be a superhero very cool uh federico sangati sangati uh, did the art with john tums uh i thought this book again looked great the whole um nova kind of going to make peace with uh Iwatu, uh him getting back into school and, and kind of trying to t- telling a version of the truth so that he can be readmitted to school um which I thought was really cool. Having him go and kind of go trick-or-treating with the kids at the Jean Grey school was really cool as well. It was a kind of a quieter issue, but I thought it was really, really cool stuff. Um, and yeah, this remains just a fantastic book. Now, it's interesting, it's interesting to see what's going to happen as part of Axis. Hopefully it doesn't derail the book too much, but I dug this. I'm going to give it an 8. It remains one of the very pleasant joys of the Marvel Universe right now. I would say Intimus Marvel... Very different types of stories, but they're still telling the kind of young hero finding their way story in very different ways, but I like them both quite a lot. Uh, now we have Sinestro number six, uh, continuing Godhead, which is great, although the, that cover is just terrible. What the hell kind of version of Sinestro is that? Uh, I do like the um, the way that they've been doing the covers, where they have like one color, they have like a new god on the bottom and then they have like a quote or some sort of saying which is what is what uses fear against the fury of a god uh this issue is written by uh colin bunn and then we have the art by dale eaglesham and martin cocolo uh and the eaglesham stuff is just brilliant uh seeing the, this battle taking place on um on what uh, on knock the homeworld of the indigo tribe where you have john stewart and some of the other green lanterns trying to assist uh indigo one fighting against one of the new gods, having Sinestro send in his people. Um, and then it turns out that the, he's only sending kind of the chaff, the dead weight that he's okay with m- basically murdering um, so that he can 
cover his escape. So Sinestro, of course he would do that. He would use his people, his people would feel strong, and then the ones he didn't deem necessary, he would have them blow up to so that the rest of them could escape. Ingenious, very much in keeping with the character. This remains the one of the jewels of the Green Lantern universe right now. Uh, Colin Bunn is just nailing it, and also uh, like just firing on all cylinders with his take on Thal Sinestro. And last up is Wolverine and the X Men number eleven, which remains not very good. Um, as it try, I think it's actually the last issue. I can't remember, but I think it, it's replaced by Spider Man and the X Men. So instead, we have this book. Now it's kind of interesting that it kind of works as a Predecessor, our predecessor, sorry, to um, the upcoming Spider-Man book. Uh, it's written by Jason Latour, with artwork by Ben Caldwell, Pharrell and Dolly Rimple, and Rico Renzi. Jason Latour, Robbie Rodriguez, and Israel Silva, Vanessa Del Rey, and Rico Renzi, and Chris Brunner and Rico Renzi. Um, I didn't like this. I found it boring. Uh, the whole character Melita, I never really knew who she was, so I, I, I like her less. Uh, the flashbacks sequences with Wolverine. Um, also, I didn't find interesting the big kind of chat between uh, Wolverine, sorry, Melita and Storm. I found was not very interesting. The flashback to Japan, like this, just felt like it went on and on and on. I still don't really care that much for Quentin Quire. When he's written well, he's actually interesting. Here, he's not. I found again the art was inconsistent on purpose, but I just I didn't have to like it. Uh, the story I found very dreadful. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three out of ten. I just could not wait for the issue to be done. Um, and that's everything I actually read this past week. So the books I didn't get a chance to look at include the following. Earth 2 Worlds End number 4, Fantastic 412, which I'm bummed I missed out on that. i got to go find it. Uh, Harley Quinn Annual number 1, International Edition, Inhuman number 7, uh, Justice League Dark Annual number 2, Marvel 75th Anniversary Celebration number 1, New 52 Features End number 26, uh, Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman number 3, Swamp Thing Annual number 3, Thanos that got up there listening number 4, Thunderbolts 32, Vertigo Quarterly number 1, Yellow, and Wonder Woman 35. Uh, looking forward, or looking forwards to tomorrow's books, well, this episode is going up on Tuesday the 4th, so looking forward to the 5th, we have the following books coming out, we got, uh, New issues of Action, Action Comics and Aquaman and the others, uh, Animal Man's 5th trade paperback comes out, Evolve or Die, uh, we have Batman Beyond 2.0 trade paperback rewired coming out. Um, a new issue of Detective Comics. Uh, hopefully, that's uh, hopefully Francis Manipal and Brian Bruchelato are back. Uh, a new issue of Ferris. Uh, Gotham Academy has its second issue. Grayson number four. Uh, Godhead continues in Green Lantern 36. Um, and I believe the last issue of Superman Unchained comes out as well. Uh, and then looking over at uh, Marvel Comics, we've got. All new X Factor coming out, another Axis uh, crossover event, uh, issue. I believe the beginning of Spider Verse and Amazing Spider Man number nine, Avengers and X Men Axis number four, um, Avengers Premium Hardcover Volume six, Infinite Avengers, which I'm excited to have that. Although I have all the singles anyway, Deadpool Classic Volume ten. I cannot believe they kept the classic volume going on that long. It's one of the only classic volumes that's actually made it that far, and it's freaking Deadpool. Um, the first trade paperback of Elektra from Marvel Now, or Mar- all-new Marvel Now, whatever it is. Uh, the second Fantastic Four by Hickman Omnibus uh, finally comes out. I feel like it's a little overpriced, considering it's not that many issues, and it's 125 bucks. You have the Marvel 75th Anniversary Omnibus, which, unfortunately, I think is just a weird scattershot smorgasbord of comics with uh, way too many modern things and not nearly enough classic stuff. It's 100 bucks. 
Uh, you have uh, the second issue of Men of Wrath by Jason Aaron. Uh, Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man. If you haven't uh, followed the recent relaunch, you can get the first trade paperback of that. Uh, as well as Spider-Verse Team-Up number 1, Thor, God of Thunder, Oversized Hardcover Volume 1, and X-Men number 21. So that's the objective list. Uh, so that's everything coming out this coming week. Um, now, looking forward to our next show, episode 216 is going to be one of two things. It's either going to be a spotlight on Big Hero 6, which hopefully it will be if I have a chance to see it uh, this coming week before I leave for my vacation in Cuba. Um, and that will be with Leonor Alana again, if all things go according to plan. If it doesn't, it might be something else, um, an inventory show I might be um, kind of recording soon that will either be to uh, that particular episode uh, as 216 or might end up being 220, 222, one of those uh, instead. And that might be a, a what-if look at. Um, and then uh, looking forward uh, next week, there will be a reviews episode. Uh, it'll be coming out uh, hopefully... This week I'll have a. I w- it won't be a long one because I'm just going to be reading as many comics as I can Wednesday night, and then I'll be recording it on Thursday, and that'll go up uh, the following Tuesday, so in the regular uh, time slot. And then episode 218 will come up on November the 14th, uh, and that is um, a good one. It's a very long episode. It's about two and a half hours long. It's uh, my. It's myself. It's Leonor Alana. No, sorry, not Leonor Alana. It's uh, Paul Scorez returning to the show again, as well as the long-awaited return of Nathan Strzok as we uh, deconstruct. Uh, not very well remembered X-Men uh, crossover event of 1997 which was X-Men Operation Zero Tolerance so we go on and on and on for two and a half hours it is insane um, so that'll be episode 218 and then after that I am back from uh, my vacation and doing new episodes uh, etc so thank you for joining me for episode 215 uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com like the show on Facebook rate and review us on iTunes you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, and uh, if you do rate and review us, uh, let me know what, your co- what country you're from, and I'll make sure to read your comment on the air. So thanks again for uh, listening to this episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.